0: is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. Wall Street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. In the Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. Hey everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and we're going to talk about And Then There Were None, This is a subject that I started thinking about listening to a song by an eighties punk band, ska slash reggae band named bad brains. And the song was called eye against eye. And I just kept thinking to myself, I want to be able to incorporate bad brains. Eye against eye in this. And the more I kept thinking to myself, look, I like some weird shit gang. I'm not even going to apologize for it. I'm all about, music and um been listening to it forever and a lot of people don't understand that the intro music to macro and cheese is a very very important song to me whether you know sensitive ears can handle it or not it's kind of crazy that people have you know the inability to hit the fast forward button for like five seconds to get past this little bit of heavy music but music is really an expression at least a lot of the pure music that I come from, a lot of the, uh, you know, heavy metal, punk, uh, hardcore, you know, all these different things have a lot of depth to them that I don't think people realize. Um, but anyway, this is what started the stream was just I kept thinking about eye against eye, how we're at like of two minds and how, you know, like a consumer, we want low prices and as a worker, we want high wages and, and there's all these like dichotomies in our life that cause us to feel some type of way. And you saw this on display with like the student debt issue where you had some people saying, Hey, I'm all for this. While simultaneously others like saying, well, what about mine? How come I didn't get mine or how come I didn't, and, you know, and I'm kind of of that camp because the question becomes really challenging when you say, well, you know, if I'm willing to go all the way to the end, who will still be with me? And so there was this great commercial, and I don't normally focus too much on commercials. There was this great commercial called By Feeding America. And it was about these kids on a basketball court. And, you know, they're all hanging out. They're all acting real cool. They're hanging from the, the pipes and they're shooting, you know, long three-pointers and so forth. And uh, all of a sudden they realize, oh, crap, mom called. I got to go home for dinner. So I'm going to play this video clip here real quickly, and I hope that this will help start off where I'm going with this conversation. Here we go. Bring it. Oh. I'm out, guys. I'm late to dinner. My mom's gonna kill me. Catch you guys later.
1: Mom wants us home. Okay. Bye, guys. You guys need a ride? Sure. Yeah. Alright. Have us some one on one. I gotta go eat, man. Sorry. I'll, I'll see you later.
0: So that my friends was the other part of this live stream that I kept thinking about. And, and I kept thinking to myself, this is like us fighting for a green new deal. This is like us fighting for Bernie Sanders to get elected. It's like us fighting to end all student debt. It's like us fighting for, you know, actual full blown national Medicare for all. What happens every single time? What happens? everybody starts off gung ho the streets are filled with bernie sanders supporters the streets are filled with whatever the minute the minute something comes up that is going to require sacrifice effort focus whatever the minute that it happens you end up losing a lot of the people that were on the court with you the minute it happens The minute you say, in order for us to get X, Y, Z done, or in order for us to to be able to get everyone to understand MMT, or to get everyone to understand how important a Green New Deal is, or to understand that taxes aren't paying for student debt cancellation, or whatever, everybody gets gung-ho at first, until you realize that you also now have to talk to people that you think are your friends, that don't agree with you, that don't understand, that are not knowledgeable of the subject and they start pushing back and so then you lose a bunch more from your mitts because they don't want to ruffle any feathers okay and then as the thing starts tilting the other direction where more people are suddenly caving in and not going for the full measure the people that are still staying court everybody's excited this person over here has stayed on course. They have not changed. They have not deviated. They have not caved in. They have not capitulated. They have not gone squishy. They have said, no, I know this is the right answer. I'm not caving in until we get the right thing. I'm not caving in until this is correct. They get labeled the extremist. They get labeled and kicked out of the groups. They get, oh, they're just a problem. They're just a problem. Okay. And so I was watching this in the MMT for RP group. Some random shit lib centrist came strolling in there uh, laughing at people complaining and asking for all the student debt to be canceled. And this person probably in the beginning said, Hey, yeah, we should cancel all student debt.
1: But the problem is, is that
0: what happens when you compromise? Not, just pretend like it's color scheme in your house I like red walls Well red looks ridiculous We should have light color pastel walls Okay we'll compromise Let's go ahead and have a slightly darker But still light Color scheme to accommodate your ism Okay no problem That's a compromise where nobody dies Okay That's a compromise where no one dies But when you have people
1: That you know are going to die from your compromise who are you to make that compromise who are you
0: to say that you that little teeny bit of sacrifice sharing a live stream showing up to a meeting doing of this doing of that going to a, a protest not voting for a bad candidate who are you to decide that there it's it's okay if they die
1: it's okay if Their lives are a shithole. Who are you to do that? You know?
0: But ultimately, the people that stand for truth, the people that stand for the right thing, the people that don't cave in, they're oftentimes left as the last one standing on the basketball court. And people ignore them after that. People excommunicate them. Because after all, they're an extremist. They're unyielding, they're uncompromising, they're unwilling.
1: Now, for people that are
0: stupid, that don't know when people are going to die, that don't see the obvious cause and effect of half measures, to them, they can pat themselves on the back that at least they saved a few people. But what if you know you could save them all, but by you caving in, you create the conditions that allow scabs to cross the picket line. That allow the union to fail. That allow all these things to happen. That allow the contract you work so hard to win to go away. There's always it's like tier after tier after tier. It's like the early early wastoids that fade away quickly. The easy they're usually your centrist shit libs. They say they're for something, but they're not willing to put anything into it. They're not willing to make any sacrifice to make that person not die at the bottom sounds good on pay. of course who wouldn't be but you must be realistic but you must be realistic right that's that's that loser at that top realm that quits quickly that drops out and all of a sudden you're left with a much smaller smaller team to fight with and then the next wave comes through where somebody says hey Why don't we go and chase this shiny object and say, but, Hey, wait a minute, guys, we got to keep fighting for this thing. We're still on it right here. We're close to the finish line. Don't break the line. Don't cross the picket line. Don't cave in. Come on, stay, fight, fight, fight. They go, nah, I'm distracted. I'm easy to move on. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to move on. Now that team gets this much smaller. And now all of a sudden, this little tiny team shows up on the corner at some city street with a sign that says Medicare for all with 10 people surrounding them.
1: 10 people isn't going to win anything,
0: right? In fact, one might even make the case that the same disgraceful people that caved in in the beginning will be the ones driving by in the car watching those tiny people in the corner. And laugh at them and say, geez, they'll never learn, will they? Freaking crazy radicals.
1: Crazy radicals.
0: I just, I really think about this all the time. And it's like, I understand the inclination as a project manager to go after quick wins. Okay, that's constantly when you're in industry and you're doing information technology projects and things like that. The bosses, the executives are constantly pounding on you to say, hey, we need some quick wins. We need some quick wins. Let's go ahead and do some small wins. Let's get some small wins through the door. Okay, a lot of people are not very big thinkers. It's it's, it's alarming how few people see the big picture. Okay, and so these executives understand, sadly that people's attention span is weak, that people aren't willing to fight to the end. They're not willing to die for someone else's needs. They're not willing to do anything there. And so they wanna get that quick win in so they keep people's attention and keep the energy going, keep the money flowing and you know keep the project alive. And so they do these incremental implementations. Now in project management, that's okay. Because you know you've got a, a money tree behind you. The, the bosses have approved the project. They're just asking for you to segment your project in small chunks so that we can get quick wins to keep all the other stakeholders engaged, right? We've got to keep them engaged, keep them engaged, keep them engaged, keep them engaged. It's like a heartbeat in the organization. You've got to keep them engaged. And so they go for these small incremental wins. They know what they want at the end of the day, though. They're not shying away from the larger project. It's not like they're saying, well, we could only agree on building a red door. So we've got this red door, and it's standing up. It's mounted in a frame, but there's no house to go with it. But we compromised. We were able to accomplish getting everyone to agree that we should get a red door. And there's this red door is like a statue in the middle of a field that they've planted with a damn frame and everything else. And they're all busy. Well done. Well done. Ta-da, look at what he did. He built a door. He put a door right there. And I just think to myself, if if we want incremental wins and we recognize that people have chipmunk style uh, focus, that they get scattered and skittish like a squirrel trying to chase, you know, across the street, that's what we're surrounded by. I mean, no joke. I live it every day. I'm telling you right now, squirrel, new person. What? You know, it's not like stay focused, stay on track, do the do, let's make it so, let's stay on point, let's build this fucker, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Nope. It's like nonstop attrition. Everything is constantly dissolving. People's interest level is dissolving. People's willingness to sacrifice dissolves. Everything, focus, name it, dissolves. Their strength, their convictions dissolve. Okay? And so when you think about getting quick wins as a project manager or in political space, you recognize the short attention spans, the 24-hour news cycle, the clickbait, the headlines, all the distractions. You got to do whatever it takes to keep those people engaged. So I understand, sadly, the repulsive nature of incrementalism. I understand, sadly, the repulsive nature of getting quick wins and short-sightedness. Because unfortunately, people lack a spine. They lack stick-to-itiveness. They lack an understanding. You've heard me talk many times about this movie called Into the Gray. You had Liam Neeson and um, what's his name? Um, can't remember the other guy's name. But li- they're running from these wolves. They're plane crashes. They They're running through the Alaskan wild. And... There this one guy slips and falls down a bank into the river and he's gliding down the river and his foot gets stuck on a limb that's underneath of the the water and the water's rushing really hard. It's freezing. It's in the middle of Canada, right? Alaska actually. And, and like this guy is like the water is just to this level and like he turns and you can kind of see the eyebrows, but he can't get his nose. There's no way to get oxygen. And so cat dies, right? Dude dies. Okay. This is the problem with people patting themselves on the back for incrementalism. That's what these half measures do. They get down to here, but the person still dies. Everything's still fucked. Okay. Everything is still fucked, but you've got the split personality disorder of people that are short on attention, short on commitment, short on conviction, short on willingness, short on intellect, short on anything, okay? And so it's the biggest fucking conundrum of them all to stand firm for that which is true, to fight for the person that doesn't have a voice. Because let's be fair, the person at the bottom, nobody's listening to them. Nobody's listening to them at all. In fact, nobody's even listening to many people in the middle class who are trying to say, don't let the size of my paycheck fool you. The debts that I've incurred, and I'm not talking credit card debts, the debts I've incurred, From being unemployed here and there, because of the compounding interest, because of the way that fines, fees, and penalties stack up, all these things, they have created untold damage in my life. And now, even though it looks like on paper, the means testing says that I should be able to afford this thing, if you do the math, if you do the basic ledger work,
1: I can't afford it. I'm going under.
0: Okay? And so what happens? People go back home to their own lives. Their spouse is a radical right-wing piece of shit. Their spouse doesn't like progressive values. Their spouse doesn't appreciate activism, whatever. Now that person is of split mind. Now they can't stay focused on the mission. They're like dealing with fucking Nazi spouse, a fucking fascist for a spouse, and they simultaneously want to change the world with the other side of their brain. But unfortunately, there's a leash on their neck from the fascist, from the fucking Hitler esque Nazi over here, the centrist that says, ah, you're wasting your time with that shit. Right? So we've got a million things chipping away at our ability to accomplish anything. And there's that one guy, just like in the video I showed, that one guy that's left standing holding the bag. Okay? Every time we put forward The stack. Let's just be fair. The stack. The stack is understand the monetary system. Let's understand the monetary system so that you understand that we can do anything we want to do. Let's not let money be a part of any of our problems going forward. Let's not let the government lie to us anymore about being able to afford these programs. Okay, because the minute someone says it's unaffordable or the minute someone says we're going to raise your taxes, you start losing people. They start getting purged away. It's like a Venn diagram. It's like you got the universal set of everybody that wants it. And the minute you impose a tax, that Venn diagram, you got a new intersection. You got a new group. You got a new tiny little group. And then what we're talking about here in my mind, if you think about it, what you're talking about here is once you understand the realm of possibilities, you no longer sweat, fake, false narratives, false narratives, that literally say we can't do this or we can't do that. Now we get down to what we wanna do, okay? And what we wanna do is we wanna survive climate crisis. We need to survive climate crisis. But to do that, we're gonna cost people jobs. There are jobs that are gonna vanish that are no longer going to be valuable or useful. A lot of them have to do with filthy, dirty uh, coal and other kinds of energy sources that are destroying the planet. So once we get rid of those industries, as part of this big not yielding plan. Now, what do we do, right? So once we've eliminated those jobs, we got to have something for those people. It's called a just transition. Well, this is part of that Green New Deal thing, right? We got the just transition allows those people to transition not only into new green jobs, but to have pay during this transition time commensurate with their career that they invested themselves in, in that dirty business. Think about how many families in West Virginia are coal miners and stuff. And think about how embedded the whole culture of being a coal miner is. There has got to be a way to keep them whole, whether you like them or not, whether you like their lives or not, whether you like their lifestyle or not. There's got to be a way to keep them in the fold and keep them maintaining their existence. And that's where the just transition kicks in. And then we have a job guarantee. Why do we need a job guarantee? Because every single time the economy bottoms out, people are left scrambling and then it's a battle over how much do they deserve? Do they deserve an extra six months of unemployment assurance? Do they, no, let's in right now without any problem whatsoever, even without a need for jobs at the moment, or maybe with a need for jobs at the moment, implement a federal job guarantee. It's part of the green new deal framework to begin with. Now, all of a sudden we've radically eliminated the need to work for the man. We've created the de facto uh, base case for a um, minimum wage, which is not a minimum wage, it's living wage. We've created the living wage through the job guarantee. We've occupied the hours of their day. So now businesses like Walmart can't predate on them and subsidize a bad wage like they could with the UBI. Now all of a sudden they have to meet or beat the benefit package of the job guarantee. They can no longer skim off your, your labor without meeting and beating That job guarantee because you've got a local job guaranteed to you in your local community, reducing travel costs, reducing carbon footprint and getting you back involved in your local uh, political scene, your town hall. Your job is local. The community grows. It's a wonderful democracy enhancing thing. That's a full measure right there. Okay. then you realize once you do this, now you've got to have Medicare for all or a national health service, one or the other. Okay, let's say national improved Medicare for all because there's more energy behind that. And that right there could be the healthcare part of the job guarantee, the just transition, and the Green New Deal to ensure that as we transition through this climate crisis, permafrost and, and stuff like that starts thawing, and all of a sudden new viruses and bacteria are released back into the environment. Now, all of a sudden, we at least have a healthcare system that has been understood, resourced, and ready to go to support the material needs of we, the people, another non-half measure. Eliminating the profit motive would be perfect, right? To radically nationalize pharmaceutical industry, to radically nationalize the healthcare industry, to radically nationalize the freaking banking industry, okay? To nationalize our needs and not allow them to predate on us, right? But the minute you say something like that, you'll be dubbed an extremist you'll be dubbed an extremist. But these are the non-half measures. These are the non-half measures, okay? And then you say, well, shit, we're sending families out to go do all these jobs that are bullshit, blah, blah, blah. But the single most important cost they've got to deal with is childcare. Childcare can be more than your mortgage, Okay, in many cases, it's more than your mortgage. I know for my family alone, for two kids, because we weren't allowed to have children at the house while we worked, if we worked, we had to actually go and get childcare and work from home. Made a lot of sense, right? But that's what you have to do. And so with that in mind, you're talking about two thousand dollars a month in childcare expenses. two thousand a month for two kids for childcare. That's a lot of cheddar, right? So make uh, childcare universal provide that as a right. And it's not taxpayer, right? It's it's literally funded by the federal government as part of the job guarantee program, as part of a Green New Deal to reinvigorate the community. You provide actual services that people need. Okay. And then public mass transit, right? Redesigning cities, things like that. These are things that have to be done whether we want to do them or not. Redesigning cities for sustainability, okay? Redesigning uh, uh, society to support local communities, to allow local autonomy, to allow people to have some self-determination at the local level, right? But when you understand that first thing, the money issue, right? And you understand that federal government, different from state government, different from local government, and you can make sure that everyone knows that. Now we have totally different conversations as well. But to get there, you need people that are unequivocal. And I know you've seen this headline activists who are the, the top ones. They get the five and 600 people liking every one of their comments, even though they're fortune cookie comments. But you got them. Everybody loves it. I'm not going to mention names, but I know you know who they are. Okay. They haven't said anything substantive. It's just a bumper sticker. But everybody feels like it's their personal responsibility to hit like on their fucking comment. But they're not out there speaking the truth. They're out there handing you a word salad that makes you feel good about what you're doing right now. It's not actionable. There's nothing useful coming out of it. But damn it, you're part of the community. And see, it's that part of the community. Now we're coming back from, and then there was one to looking how the community forms. The community goes from one, it went from big, because that's a great idea, and as you added the things you have to do to get there, it shrunk. But then when you take away all that stuff, you just say, just vote blue. Just, Just go along to get along, whatever. All of a sudden, those people, you see them, I know you do, they start coming back together again. Why? Because it's like a fucking sweet drink, a sugar drink. There's no substance to it whatsoever but there's sugar in it and they're there like a fly on shit. This right here, this
1: right here is why it's so important
0: to number one, not cave in, but number two, to understand this is why people cave in. I, I, I personally would be so embarrassed. I'd be ashamed of myself. I, I probably would have a tough time waking up in the morning if I was the kind of person that caved in quickly, if I was one of those people that just went along with the democratic narrative or just, Oh, Oh, that's what, uh, that's what they said on MSNBC. It must be true. That's what Rachel Maddow said. It must be true. Hey, it must be true. Or the Fox fools. I don't think any Foxers are on here, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Fox news. If you need somebody to beat up Republicans for you to feel good, you come to the wrong place. They're easy pickings. ain't us getting us to the finish line, okay? The problem is it's team us that keeps abandoning ship. It's team us that keeps creating splinter groups. It's team us that eats each other instead of fixing the problem. It's team us that gets distracted and wanders off. So as I think to myself, the only thing that we should be doing instead of chasing every current event, instead of chasing every headline, let's focus on a platform that we all know and love and stay committed and focused to it, regardless, regardless of what politicians support it. These politicians should not be telling us what's important and then we get on board with their plan. We should be telling them what we need, what we demand and making them do it. Right. When we were telling Biden that we needed a Green New Deal, period, Bernie Sanders economic team went in there and said it. He said, no, there'll be no green dream or whatever. We're going to do build back better, more betterer." Right. Didn't went out of his way. I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist. Went out of his way to shit on a Green New Deal. Okay. Then of course you've got the outside edge lords whining and crying that the Democrats stole the word Green New Deal. Really, some eco-socialist blah blah blah. I get it. But really, at the end of the day, as the tsunamis coming, two idiots standing on a beachfront as the waves getting ready to sweep away, going, I came up with the title Green New Deal. No, we did. No, we did. Eh." Right. This is the this is the kind of thing. You know, this is the kind of thing that really, really creates the problems, okay? So I look at the Green New Deal, regardless of who's pushing for it at this point, as the framework for moving forward. Because these are the policies and things that we need desperately to survive. And we need to be able to build enough energy without having a quote-unquote political leader to guide us by the nose to the finish line. I'm not telling you third party. I'm not telling you second party. I'm not telling you first party. I'm telling you we people, a movement needs to have its own demands. And people are so unsure of how to organize and how to get together based on series of demands. And it's hard. I'm not going to lie, because you have to have people ready to show up and do these things. And as you already know, the minute you say the word do, the do word do is a motherfucker for an activist you would think that it would be one of the easiest words because activist connotates action which connotates do which connotates hey let's do it let's do this right but the minute you get into do
1: the minute that you get into do
0: you've lost a bunch of people they want to go to a concert they want to binge watch some shit on netflix they want to fucking smoke some chiba hey i'm down but you know you get my point There isn't that level of commitment. And so framing this in a way that people can hold on and not feel like it's too big. I don't understand this whole thing about being too big. I'm more of a visionary thinker. I'm not like a tactical one by one thinker. You know, I don't have that like myopic anthill view. I'm like a big picture guy. See end to end. So for me, end to end works. For everybody else, they're like, well, how do we do this one little teeny thing? And if we're driving a car, how do we do this little thing? Do we tie wrap that wire? I mean, they're down in the fucking weeds, man. Fucking magnifying glass out. They're like down in the weeds. They can't level up and stay at proper level. It's like down in the weeds, down in the weeds, way down deep in the weeds. And that problem is that the weeds are where most people's eyes, including my own, roll back in our head and we go to sleep and we check out right and this is a standard problem that we're facing as a movement and going forward for the hell of it i'm going to share this video one more time for people because i want people to see this just so that they can understand fully what i'm talking about i think this is such a good video let me know what you think guys here we go bring it I'm late to dinner. My mom's gonna kill me. Catch you guys later.
1: Mom wants us home. Okay. Bye, guys. You guys need a ride? Sure. Oh, yeah. Alright. Have us some one on one. I gotta go eat, man. Sorry. I'll, I'll see you later.
0: So let me ask you knowing just using that feeding america thing 1 in 9 kids go home hungry. Who's organizing around that? Do you know what I mean? Who's organizing around that? Why are why are we in a position where anyone in this country goes hungry? This is a moralization why why ask why drink bud dry blah blah blah. But the truth of the matter is why? Why is that? And when you dig down and you understand the why behind it, you've got to understand that part of the system that we live under is based in making sure that we are in a precarious state. Because if we are not worried about where we're going to eat, where we're going to sleep, what we're going to do, we may get the crazy notion in our head that we can do something we want to do, that we can do something we enjoy that we are not forced to take whatever's thrown at us, that we might make decisions that break from this system that has abused so many over the course of time. They're afraid. And so the only way to make sure you stay plugged in, the only way is to make it so you don't have a choice, to put you in bondage, and to put it so that if you don't check out, you'll lose everything. You'll lose your job because you said too much. You'll lose your family because you were too committed to the uh, activism. You'll lose this. You'll lose something. Something's gonna be taken from you. And they use this to great precision to keep you from uniting with your brothers and sisters who are struggling as well. They use this to keep you from uniting. And until we can accept that they're going to do. Look, look at what happened to each of these unions. They've they criminalized uh, like union uh, clothing, even they've shut down stores. When unions started, they're doing everything they can to counter that. And unions are a good starting point, but they're not the be all end all. I mean, every single thing that we ask for that is not codified into law as a right We're at risk of losing. So we'll always be perpetually fighting these fights until we make demands and stay on top of them. And just know that the minute that the thing you think is important has sort of been addressed, think about the ACA. The minute the ACA passed, what happened? Three quarters of would be allies for Medicare for all checked out of the game. You got healthcare. I'm good. It's like, yeah, I agree with you, but, you know, I, I'm really going to be late to going on this trip to the bar. So I'm going over here instead. You know, that's, that's what's happening. So I throw this out at you and I ask you this. If you talk to your neighbor, if you talk to your friends, if you talk on social media and you raise up how the monetary system works. So people understand the country creates its own money, that the country is self funding, that the country is the currency issuer, not just the United States, but Australia, Japan, the UK, Canada, Russia, China. Okay. When I tell you that all of those countries, I just routed off many others, but I've just used those, create their own currency, by definition, they don't need your money to go back out to spend. They're not broke. They're not like, where are we going to find the money? Oh, my God, where can we find the money? They're, they're not, they're not going to do that. Why? Because you create the money. It's created for you right there. Article 1, Section 8, Constitution. Go ahead and write, pass the bill. If I tell you that that's the case, if I tell you that's the case, would you be able to tell your friends that? Would you be able to each one, teach one, tell four or five people? You know the bank never goes broke in monopoly, and it never goes broke in real life either. Why is that? It creates the money. It creates the money. Okay, the United States government can never go broke denominated in debts in its own currency, period. Ever. Unless some politician decides to do it.
1: So if that's the case, if that's the case, you should be able to tell your friends, listen,
0: we're not in debt to China. And even if we were, even if China, you know, lo- <laughs> China loaned us US dollars. And Matt, just think about how ridiculous that is off the top of your head, that we went to China to Borrow U.S. dollars that we readily create out of thin air. And we're trembling in fear over this debt to China. Okay. We create that money. When they sell goods and services to us in the United States, what do they buy it with? Or what do we we transact in U.S. dollars? So China sits there with all its U.S. dollar holdings and says, well, what do I do with all these U.S. dollars? I can't use them in China. I could, but the point is is that maybe I don't need that many U.S. dollars. So what do they do? Then in turn, they go ahead and buy treasuries or they buy bonds with that money. Why? Because number one, it's the same currency issuing government that's selling the bonds, giving you a guaranteed 2%, 3%, whatever interest on your money. So why wouldn't China take its U.S. dollars that it just got from selling goods and services into the United States that it doesn't use back home, why wouldn't it take this money that who knows what the hell they're going to do with it, right? Why does it matter? They got U.S. dollars here. They just sold all their their real resources to us in U.S. dollars. Now they're sitting there holding it. What do they do with those dollars? Well, if I'm China, I'm saying to myself, well, I only need so much dollars to help me transact in the U.S. markets why didn't I go ahead and put that money into these treasuries, earn a nominal interest rate? And now all of a sudden I've grown my US dollar holdings. Why would I? I mean, why not? I mean, they could take that money and they could put it out somewhere else and trade it in the foreign exchange. But the point I'm making here is, is that the US debt is nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy. Why does this matter? Because if you're living in a world where everybody's afraid of the national debt, where everybody thinks that we're in debt to banks, that think that the Rothschilds own the United States, that the Federal Reserve has got a demon spawn, fucking three headed lizard, whatever from outer space that runs it, and the Illuminati and all the other shit, if you're into that, you could have a hard time understanding how reality works. Okay. And you could have a hard time explaining it to other people, but that's what we're up against. So being able to teach people. Listen, the national debt, it's not paid for in tax dollars. It's not paid for by you and I. It's not debt at all. Any more than your bank that gives you 2% interest in your savings account is giving China 2% interest on its savings account at the Fed in the form of a bond. It's the same exact thing. They took their U.S. dollar holdings that they earned and they went ahead and invested it. we didn't borrow their money we don't use their money we create that money from thin air every single time so if you can get rid of the national debt story a lot of that Venn diagram comes back because a lot of people shrunk because they thought the nation is broke They thought the nation was broke and they can't get past it. They're like, how in the world is it that I'm broke and I'm paying taxes, but you're wasting my hard-earned tax dollars going to China or whatever, right? Eliminate that. The national debt is nothing more than the sum total of every untaxed dollar in the economy. They say, well, what happened to the tax dollars in the economy? Doesn't the government use that? No. Pretend like the U.S. dollar is nothing more than a coupon, okay? The federal government issues these 50-cent off Sabaro pizza coupons, okay? And they're called the dollar, and they put them into the economy. They spend them into the economy. They don't just leave them laying around in fat stacks for people to pick up and spend. They spend those dollars in the economy when the government passes a bill. Hey, we're going to do the National Highway Act, okay? So we are giving 90 billion dollars to Corporation A that's going to build highways throughout whatever. So that's when the money enters into the economy. It didn't exist one minute; it then exists the next minute. Okay, so that money spent into the economy on the construction project to the construction provider, you know, uh, contractor who then in turn pays employees and material holders and service companies and everything else that are part of their deal. And that's how the money goes to the second level. So it's spent now twice, spent once by the government, spent again by the contractor. And then again, from those next people, they spend because one person's spending is another person's income. When you can get past this idea that they're wasting your hard-earned tax dollars Boy, oh boy, that Venn diagram changes again, doesn't it? How many Republicans whine about their hard-earned tax dollars going to pay for somebody? How many people whine about you spending and wasting their hard-earned tax dollars on Israel, on abortion, on Ukraine, on all these things? Well, it's not how it works, right? You may not like the priority they they put on there, but every one of those dollars was a brand-new dollar spent one time by the government. The government only spends a dollar once. And then it goes through the economy, and when it's taxed, it's deleted, it's purged, it's, it zeroes out, it's done its job. When money is spent in the economy, they put in the ledger something called a reserve. That reserve, let's say, is $1. They put that in the ledger to show we've spent $1. Then on the other side of the ledger is another dollar, and that's the dollar in the economy. Reserve is inside the banking system, never leaves the banking system, facilities. The dollar out here is in the private sector spinning around in the economy. When it comes back, the reserve and the dollar, they cancel each other like the dark and light crystal. Okay, that's it. So if you tell your friends, tell a couple friends here. Go to your next DSA meeting, talk to them there. Go to your next progressive Democrats of America, go to your Green Party, go to your freaking, you know, DSA or Extinction Rebellion or whatever. Be a rogue strain of truth, telling our friends, this is how it is. Point them back to resources They can follow up, get an elevator pitch so that they understand the debt is nothing. The deficit, we talk about the deficit myth all the time. Stephanie Kelton wrote a great book about it, okay? Well, what is the deficit? The deficit is the difference between the amount of new money spent into the economy by the government, federal government, that is, and the amount received in taxation. That's the deficit. So in other words, we spent more money into the economy than we taxed out of the economy. Is that a problem? Uh, No. Why would it be? Why would it be? Why would that be a problem? And if you can understand what I've just said about the national debt and the deficit, deficit is an annual measure, resets to zero every year. The annual deficit, the amount spent versus the amount taxed. There's no problem with it whatsoever. Okay? So then they say, well, what about the debt limit? Well, the debt limit is an anachronism. An anachronism means an old thing that doesn't matter anymore. Like dinosaur arms, they're vestigial. They serve no purpose, okay? Like a a dude that's like 80 years old that can't get wood anymore. It's, it's, It's a vestigial junk, right? Doesn't serve a purpose anymore other than to pee, right? Whatever. At the end of the day, This is an anachronism, the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling was there as a checks and balances to make sure that we weren't just spending willy-nilly, okay, and doing pet projects. It was a way of, quote-unquote, maintaining the value of the gold because the dollars were tied to the gold. I shouldn't say it that way. It was a way of ensuring that these dollars right here stayed proportional to the gold supply over there, okay? And it was just a a boogeyman. Basically, Uh, it was kind of like putting I'll put a lump of coal in your stocking if you don't do X, Y, Z. So the debt ceiling is irrelevant, but it's relevant because it is a rule that is followed. And that rule that is followed is an outdated thing like no interracial dating, guys. We can't have that interracial thing. What is this whole gay thing anyway? None of these things. This is all old shit, man. Shit we've gotten past, right? The whole thing, of, hey, I own slaves. Well, no, we don't own slaves anymore, right? That's old stuff. That's an anachronism. That's stuff that happened, but doesn't happen anymore, and it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. Now we should know better, right? Well, we should know that the debt ceiling is nothing more than a big old joke, and they wring their hands over it. That's why they talk about minting the trillion-dollar coin. We'll just mint this little coin, say, hey, it's worth a trillion bucks. Put it in there at the Fed, and voila, hey. No more issue with that ceiling now, right? No more issues with that ceilings. Well, the pandemic should have proved that to begin with. But the point is these are man-made rules. They're not real, they're not these are rules that we put in place as part of our political economy. Okay? It's just like a, a filibuster. There's no god-breathed law that says a filibuster is a thing, but the filibuster was applied for certain reasons and it's been removed at different times for different reasons. It's a political game. It's a political tool. It's not an act of God. And it's something that can be wiped out, just like our next subject, which is Social Security, which I talked about recently as well. Social Security. What does FICA taxes do? What's a federal tax? What do federal taxes do? They delete money. So when you pay your FICA tax, remember, there's that reserve sitting there in the system. FICA tax hits the turnstile, hits the Social Security trust fund to say, hey, show a marker to say this cat paid a buck into the system. Okay, we show it, represent, check mark. yep, he paid a buck. Put it over here, back to the thing, zeroes out, it's gone. So Social Security is not sitting there in some vault, rolled up fat stacks like Breaking Bad, none of that. It's deleted. And when they send their check and they spend that money out, guess what? It's new money. It's brand spanking new money. Why do they talk about the trust fund? Well, the trust fund was another political tool put in place by FDR to make you feel like you had skin in the game. And by making everyone feel like they have skin in the game, which they don't, by the way, you paid a tax, it was deleted. Okay? There's a check mark put in a box and say, Yay, yeah, paid a buck. Okay. There's no fun there. There's no, oh my God. It's just like, how many check marks do we have? Well, we got enough check marks. Okay, we can make payments. Oh crap. Looks like there's going to be a lot more people that are going on Social Security. And based on the way things are going or receipts are going, <coughs> there won't be enough check marks in the trust fund. But the trust fund is nothing more than the authority to pay. It's not the creator of the dollar. It has no dollars to spend out. It just authorizes, yeah, we've got enough check marks in here. Go ahead and spend the money, Congress. And out of nowhere, Treasury spends those dollars right back into the economy, just like every other fucking spending bill. No different whatsoever, except that on paper, the authority to approve payment is through this trust fund. There is no money in the trust fund whatsoever, just a bunch of check marks that say yes. Talk to a friend. Tell them about this. Don't know where to find information about it. I know that if you've been following this channel, you do, but if you haven't been following this channel, please go to our website, realprogressives.org, and check it out. There's a whole bunch of resources out there, okay? And I mean, I can go through a bunch of... Go to our fucking podcast, Macro and Cheese. Look it up macro, the letter n cheese.com or go to our realprogressives.org uh website. Go under media, go to pod, go to the macro and cheese podcast and check it out. You can find transcripts, you can find links, extras, you name it. Go to our bookshelf. We've got more resources than you would ever believe. Go check it out. But if you need If you need to have somebody, you need a lifeline, you need to tag someone in, you need someone to help you out. You're in a debate and you've gotten too deep in the hole and you're not sure how to pull yourself out. Have a network, work with real progressives, real progress in action. Check out our Facebook group, Modern Monetary Theory for Real Progressives. Seriously, go there now, right now. Don't wait a minute more. Click, go to uh, Modern Monetary Theory for Real Progressives on Facebook.
1: Join the group. You know, go. And so I think
0: in the end, if you understand that so much of our problem lies at that top level, the reason why so many people capitulate and just fall out is because they really fundamentally don't understand that the government can create the money it needs at any given time and spend it into existence at any time it passes a bill to do any of the things that we need done. But if you don't understand that, it's kind of understandable in a way that people feel like they can't do it. They feel like it's too much, too hard, too challenging. You know? And so you've got to be able to be there. Like back when I was just getting started, I had a lot more patience and I was learning things on the fly. I was talking to anybody that would listen. Even when I stumbled, I would quickly pick up the phone or write an email or send a message and say, what is this? Where can I find the link for this? Help me find the link for it. do you have a meme for this? Where's the article for this? What book should I reference? And I would do it Immediately. I'd do it while I was on the toilet, do it while I was at work, do it while I was at the kids' baseball game, do it, whatever. It didn't matter. I did it because phone, easy. I could sit there and watch a show and do activism without any sweat. A lot of people, for whatever reason, can't walk and chew gum at the same time. A lot of people put their phone in another room and whatever. So they can't do important things that help people get trained on this stuff because most people aren't going to just sit there and watch an hour-long video like this will be, okay? Unfortunately, We only got a small ratio of people watching, okay? Small, small, small ratio of people watching compared to other people that watch the clickbait. Why is that? Clickbait doesn't require a sacrifice. Clickbait doesn't require you to think. Clickbait doesn't require you to think about what is important and how to do it. You can just sit there and nod along and say, I agree, Uh uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And bam, you're, you're good. You've gotten enough. And this is the problem. The truth will always be less sexy, it will be less popular. It will be harder to push forward. It will be harder to get people to understand. It will be like, "What's your credentials? Who are you to tell me economics? Open an economics textbook. You don't know the first thing about it. Of course, there's no such thing as a free lunch. All these things. We have answers to those things. And they're not hard. But in order to get there, You got to take some baby steps and to keep the group from shrinking to nothing, to keep it growing, to get people engaged, to get people believing, to get people understanding. It requires an army of people willing to do basic shit. Think about what the bad guys do for a lie. Think about how many people wander around and knock on doors to give you the good news of Jesus Christ through the Watchtower Society or any number of things. They show up on the door. Hi, I'm so-and-so from the Watchtower. Here's my book, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they sit you down. They want to tell you about the Lord and Savior, the Archangel Michael, and all the other stuff that the Watchtower Society has done to the the old word, right? They go ahead and do that, but they'll do that like crazy for a cult, for things that are not true. But what do we do with MMT and understanding how the federal finance works? Do we do that? Do we show up? Do we knock on doors? Do we talk to people? No. Part of the reason for that is is that we aren't coordinated enough. We're not organized enough. I'll take the blame for that. I have a a nonprofit to focus on that. We should be doing that. But as far as other people goes, we got to get them to show up to learn this stuff to begin with. And I think that if we can build that base, that foundation, we can limit the number of people that cave and capitulate. We can literally limit that because people will start understanding. They'll wake up, the eyes will be bright, and it won't just be a blue flame that fades out quickly as soon as you say you have to do something. Hopefully, we can build enough people that are doers, that have skills, that are willing to not go, well, where's my paycheck? When am I getting paid? Where am I? You're doing this to save your children. You're doing this to save society. You're an activist for God's sake. You're doing this for the world. That's your pay. And if you learn a skill along the way, then you've got real world skills that you can take into the world for you. Now, would I love to be able to pay everybody? Fuck yeah, I would like to pay myself. But without donations, without people actively fighting for donations and things like that, you get what you get. We desperately need that kind of help so that we can get more people with more skills to help us do these things. But we've got a small committed team, very, very tiny, small committed team that tries to pull this stuff off. And it takes a village. I hate to use Hillary's terms, but it takes a village. It takes a village. And we've got to get ourselves together so that we can eliminate that being there can only be one right where there's only one person left standing because everybody else has gone to brunch everybody else has checked out everybody else is busy binge watching some trash show or or doing some silly thing chasing girls going to bars doing whatever fucking stay focused on saving society and you do that by knowing what the fuck's going on and i think that that right there my friends is how i'm going to end this show So without further ado, this is the end of the Rogue Scholar today. I will be on Jen Perlman tonight at 7 p.m. talking about Social Security. I also have this Saturday, we have a great podcast with Jakob Feinig talking about a moral economy. Very excited about that. And on top of that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll get back in the scene on Grumble, but either way, take this information, go to our website, become a donor for God's sake, and please like the fucking video, smash that like button, share this thing around, help us get the word out. It's not for everybody, but it should be for everybody. And I'm hoping that we can create messaging that everybody can understand, provide leave behinds that people can quick reference guides that they can use out in the field. And that we can build that network of people through chapters where people know who to reach out to, to make, uh, ask a question, to get help, to get tagged into a Twitter thread, to get tagged into a Facebook thread. Without that kind of support with each other, it's very, very hard to build a movement. And with that, I'm Steve Grumbine, and I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed yourself today. I am. Out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.